Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipster Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, the Crypto Hipster, where I bring you founders, entrepreneurs, executives, amazing guests, really from all around the world of crypto and blockchain. And I have a repeat guest today. He spoke to me a couple of years ago. Uh, really awesome conversation. He is, and, I, and, and there's no title to describe this, man, strategy expert, a transformationalist, a product, an innovator, a growth advisor. Um, his name is Daniel Steves. Daniel, welcome back. Hey, thanks for inviting me, Jamil. It's great to be here. I hope I can live up to the introduction and the expectation of these of these great folks. Uh, we'll we'll give it a shot. I'm absolutely certain you will. Um, so let's let's um, let me ask you first. You know, uh, what is your background, and what have you been up to since you know we last spoke a couple of years ago? My background is, I mean, if you go back deep enough if, to my trade, I'm a techie, I'm a programmer, like uh, I, you can't see on a, on the video uh, because we're on, on audio only, so you, you get spared. But uh, I've been around about 40 years in the sector. Uh, my forays into blockchain started eight, 10 uh, years ago when I was living in London, uh, working in the fintech sector, uh, mentoring, working with startups and, and growing businesses. So I'm a Canadian. I've been in Canada. I've been in the Middle East, uh, 12 years in London, seven years in Germany. And since we last spoke, whilst I was working on a, a, a GameFi type startup at probably the worst time in the crypto history, at least to date, to have tried to launch something. Um, since then, I've since moved to Switzerland, where we certainly have an awful lot more in the blockchain space uh, in, in terms of stability and regulatory site. And I'm seeing some significant differences in how things work here in general, which applies very well for the startup businesses that, that listen to you. I guess that's a first answer. That's, that's an additional question. I just want to ask that. You know, um, you were building that other startup, I think, in Germany. Now you're in Switzerland. What are you seeing is the difference now that you're in Switzerland? What is the difference compared to the rest of the world? Well, I mean, from the building perspective, the other one that we were doing was GameFi orientated and had the investment and things come along without the crypto winter, had things worked out better. We were still not yet determined where we were situated. Our team was fully revealed, which was very unusual for most of these DeFi startups. Um, uh, not Certainly unusual for all of the rug pulls because that's part of the red flags that you should look at, but also because the, the space was far less defined and you had a little bit more flexibility. Now, if you want to attach your name to something, you want to get yourself in a space where you're a little bit more better controlled and regulated. So a few years ago, the European companies looked at, okay, what is the UK doing now that they're out of the EU? We know what the EU is doing now with Mika and other things, uh, even though that's still very much in flux and there's still variances between the different states, right? Switzerland, um, Dubai and Singapore, rather than Malta and Estonia, are probably the key targets today things have changed right like the the structures the needs the requirements so while in switzerland you need to have a resident director and you need to do things above board and it's a very registered and regulated place you can also pay significantly less taxes you if you make 
if your business goes big and you're a resident here and your capital gains go up, you your your tax may be relieved on that. On the Dubai side, you're like at a zero income tax. Singapore, uh, a little bit sort of closer to here, but Dubai is kind of wild west without regulation. Singapore is quite regulated, but it's a separate state and it's under a lot of pressure, both from China and from America. And they tend to follow these policies. Switzerland is a place that doesn't worry about that type of pressure and are pretty much the leaders in terms of setting up the regulatory environment. Though it's, but on the other hand, here, like most other places other than maybe Dubai, and maybe Singapore, depending on which bank you walk into, you can't always necessarily get your crypto business banked here. It's kind of like this weird thing in America, right? Where they, cannabis is legal in a state or a bunch of states, but it's not at the federal level and the banks are regulated at the federal level. So the federal level still considers possession and Trade and trading and transactions in those products as illegal. Therefore, the banks are concerned uh, and, and the companies themselves are concerned about having their funds seized. So the, the cannabis sector there is like people look at the CBDC sector, right? They, they like the idea of, of cryptocurrencies, but they don't like the ideas of those that are controlled which flips you back into the DeFi versus centralized space, which is the owning your keys or not owning it and who controls it and, and who can you trust because you clearly couldn't trust FTX, but you couldn't trust Binance either, as it turns out, right? So does that mean you you can trust Coinbase or is, is that company based in America a trickier one to work with? So should you be looking at a company in Switzerland to do that type of commerce where they... They work legally internationally. They're far more open and left hidden than they used to be. And the crypto space is very transparent. And the regulations are kind of well positioned. And I think a lot of the other countries are taking a look at this as a model. So it's not necessarily cheaper to do business here. But the other thing I found since I've gotten here, there uh, in particular, there's, a, there's also a, a, a premium on like the little Swiss flag in the corner, right? There's a element of trust, just like other countries give you a, a, a feeling of uh, faith in the systems that they have or less based on political times. And it's it, it, like made in the EU is better than not made in the EU, right? Made in Switzerland is better than not made in Switzerland. So there's Singapore to European and American uh, investors and consumers and companies is less clear, right? Dubai is less clear. Switzerland is just like, oh yeah, we can trust them. The, the chocolate's good. So the chocolate's good. I like that. Um, it is good, you know. Um, so we're gonna switch from chocolate. Although I want to talk about chocolate. Uh, you are you're, you're working in a couple projects, you know, in the ESG space you know what are these projects all about and uh what's your role and what are they up to sure well, i'll give a couple of quick plugs for the local ecosystem while as i discuss that because it's part of the story so when i got here you know my I basically we came to switzerland following a career move for my wife um and i'm i'm kind of a nomadic worker anyway i do i work remotely i work for different businesses and there's a lot more english and my french is better than my german so 
find place to start working with businesses. The good way to get set up, and I'll recommend this to anybody in our space who has a little bit of time, is getting involved with mentoring. So I was brought on as one of the experts and one of the jurors at a very large international uh, accelerator program called Mass Challenge Switzerland, which has an American counterpart. And I'm also one of the jurors and mentors at Venture, which is the oldest and largest here in Switzerland. So through Mass Challenge, uh, turns out one of the companies I was mentoring in, in as as their as one of the many experts that they have that volunteer um, was this young Indian man with a solar thermal uh, industrial solutions business. Right. So this is bet while it's not my space looking at solar thermal, but what he has, how it's being done, um, and and the, the mechanisms that are set up and the efficiencies that it delivers, combined with having clients like in paid pilot like Coke, H&M, Unilever, and Tata, all in India, because he's based in Delhi, but they, these are like the first steps um, with projects on the go with companies like like PMO, PMI rather and Guy Vaudin, to come those are uh not exactly public but i don't think anybody will tell any stories so when i take a look at the the type of opportunities that he had it was my first question was why are you in an accelerator because it's a, a, but it's part of the way to step to get into europe because this is part of the question and challenge for any of these companies is to to get themselves spread a little bit further so as we continue to talk i found out about his second company which is also in Pilot uh, operations, it's a uh, heating, ventilation, air conditioning, HVAC, AI building solution, which will deliver 30 to 40% efficiencies and cost reductions, which are also, of course, related to stop using the fossil fuels that you're using to run your AC and your heating systems. In India, it's a lot more focused on AC. As he moves into Europe and America, it's going to depend north and south, whether it's a little bit more uh, AC, but these are products that can work in any of those uh, basically what I call high ceilings in large rooms, like anything from an arena to an auditorium to airport terminals and the like uh, through and, and factories through to small room, um, short ceilings, which are your offices, your schools and the like. And he's working with the Indian Institute of Technology. We're going to try to start doing some work here in Lausanne, Switzerland with uh, EPFL, a very innovative University. So you've got these two projects with the same founder, different co-founders and operations team going after ESG from a different angle. Now, none of this to any of your listeners so far sounds like crypto. Unknown to me, one of the reasons he was most interested in me was because of my crypto background. So I've been helping him with these businesses and the messaging and the like. And we're looking at the different ways to particularly scale up the AI because it's a uh, zero cost. If you wanted to put it in your building today, like if you some tall building, you wanted to cool or heat, you would be able to essentially plug the software and let a digital twin do the modeling and monitoring with your historical data and your current data over a six week period. And then it would start operating at higher levels of efficiency and continue to learn. Right. So it's a it, it continuing to learn from everything from the weather patterns through to feeds about traffic and train strikes and everything else so that you know how many people are going to be in the buildings, et cetera. Very clever set of answers for this stuff, I think, because it not doesn't only think about the hot and cold in the building. It thinks about the people that are in there. 
and when they're in there and how many and, and so on. So we're looking at these and we, we started talking about the, the, the carbon credits that both of these projects generate the potential for, for their clients. And both types of projects um, are in the avoidance category in the ESG space. Both of them allow their clients to hit three, four, and in some cases, five or six of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And we're looking at a, at a model to help the customers actually realize the value from the carbon credits, particularly in countries like India, Chile, Morocco, where we've already got a footprint and, and are looking at expanding. And as you start to get into the you what the UN classifies as the LDCs, the lower developing countries, the projects can actually start to earn carbon credits on a higher level because the impact is such that the carbon credit revenue is what's enabling the project as much, right? So they're going to save money, but they need to invest. And that in investment is going to be paid back, for example, by the carbon credits. But that's also going to allow them to grow, which is also going to allow them to reduce their admissions, have more employment, and 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 so on. So there's a, a carrying on of, of effects, whereas if you were running... Um, a, a avoidance project, the, the one that we just talked about in your building over there in, in Ireland, um, you might earn at a lower level because you would have executed the project anyway because A, it's a, a lower price impact and, and B, you're simply going to save a bunch of money. So you, you didn't need the carbon credits to drive you forward. Therefore, those carbon credits, unless, of course, you're in a particular sector where people are really excited about buying them that match them, because this is where this whole confusion comes in. A carbon credit from one of these customers on the European market is fungible, right? Just like a Bitcoin or a dollar. A carbon credit on the gold standard marketplace, which is one of the cryptocurrency-based implementations of credit monitoring, certifying, and and essentially digital twin from the, I don't, I don't, it's not physical, it's digital, but the real world carbon credit versus the digitizing the digital credit into a crypto and onto the blockchain. Um, these projects, if I have, if we have a listing that says the gold standard token is selling at 10, bucks and i have a particular project that matches your industry and is considered more valuable than i might not be willing to sell it for 10 bucks if you offer me 10 i might say no somebody else might offer me 12 and it's based on the project level so there's a to me there's a a, a, a severe lack of clarity in this for the outside players the companies that are trying to do business and earn some value from the good that they're doing, uh, as well as offset their own credit, uh, their, their own carbon emissions in places where they're taxed on it, like uh, here in Europe, for example. Um, and India, that will be coming. So every company we work with there will be able to start banking things in advance to, to reduce the impact on their own taxes. But this, this confusion about the value, and I, I broke two different AIs asking questions. They both got to the point saying, and uh, co-pilot did it yesterday, said to me, um, I don't think we can go any further with this conversation because it couldn't give me answers, right? On, on one hand, you look at a market, you see a price and you think, oh, that stock costs a dollar. And it's the same as that other 
stock, but it is and it isn't. So what we want to do with our model is simplify that route and clarify that route, first of all, for all of our client companies, right? So since we have a AI PhD on, on board, we're going to develop a process that, first of all, allows us to self-assess our projects. It'll be future orientated to self or to assessing external projects when we open that door. But for the moment, if we take a look at the projects that are coming from uh, the solar thermal company, Tenza Heat, the uh, AI uh, smart buildings HVAC solution, or likely called Tenza AI, or or from from the, the into the trading company, we want to help those clients to bring all of their data, the historical data, the baseline, and everything that happens, and we have complete control of of that set of data. So we know we're going to be able to be comprehensive and able to report. So we're going to rate those projects likelihood of earning their carbon credits much higher than we would a third party project, at least until we knew the developers of the third party project. And, and the way it works with the carbon credit projects is it could be, okay, there's your building, we're going to do this thing with you, that's a project. Or you've got 10 buildings, we're going to do those 10 buildings as a grouped set of projects, or we're going to do those 10 buildings as 10 separate projects, right? So e even that, you think about it, sounds like an easy decision, but what's the impact? You don't really know, right? So we want to guide them through. And part of the part of the AI will be supplying the knowledge that we have in both of these websites and, and the, the trade um, facility to come will have... Rather than a web page where you go and read stuff, I predict it's going to be a, a, an AI bot at the top of the page. You can scroll down to read, but you can otherwise say, well, what do I want to know? So I'm, I'm thinking that I, I interface with search very differently than I did before because of AI. So let's start to echo what our users, even our investors are going to be looking for. I don't think a white paper to be read in depth is necessarily the right answer. Um, I don't think a white paper as a PDF is the right answer. I think that all of that information should be on the website in one location, one single version of the truth, kind of like the blockchain, that nobody gets an old version or an inaccurate version in a PDF from an email from somebody else. All they have is a website where it's the most accurate version. Also on that website, all of that information, you can ask about it. Like, oh, what's the token model or, or what, what's the share or, or what's the investment model or all of the different bits and pieces. So presenting information differently to people more accessible is also what we need to do for our clients. We want to help them to get through this process. We'll earn in the space of doing that, of course, because we're facilitating it like any other service provider would. They'll be incentivized to do it with us because they will pay a little bit less for their services if they run that through us because of our profit element on it and the fact that it drives our crypto economy. Every project that we come in gives the opportunity for our token holders to potentially invest in that project or, or there are different models with our, within our marketplace, such as uh, Assured Trade. So if you owe me $1,000 and I'm not into crypto, I just want $1,000. I don't want maybe 990 or maybe 1010. You want to send me the thousand in the crypto that you hold. Maybe it's the crypto you, you've earned within our economy, or maybe it's rewards that you have and the like, or just out of your wallet. When you send that 
to me, our club, as we're calling it, because it's, uh, our, it's it will uh, in the not too distant future, it'll I'll probably start calling it a DAO. The invest so people who hold a particular amount in their wallet or will automatically be members to a DAO where they will have the opportunity to say, yes, include me in on that investment as a group or don't include me or let me invest as an individual, right? So the options will be there for them to do that, to invest in each of these projects. Carrying on from that, the projects themselves, as in you with your building, you will be able to say, okay, I'm, we're projecting that I'm going to generate, I don't know, a, 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 we're going to offset 10 tons, 10 metric tons of carbon. So there's 10 carbon credits. And we're estimating those based on the valuation process that we go through that they're going to be worth, for simplicity, I'll just say a buck each, right? So here's here's $10,000, right? Or, or I said 10 credits, so $10. And here's, you can sit and wait through the cycle for the certification to earn that $10 minus a small fee for the process at the end. Or you, the company, can offer that to our investment DAO and say, I let you have it today for 50 cents. You guys give me that money now. You sit and wait for the process. That process, which we will also give those investors the option to insure or not, um, to to get like in other words they'll pay an extra few points to have an insurance coverage on it to to some level all to be determined with our insuring partner who we, we started the discussions so we want to create a crypto economy that drives its own projects in creates the value for the token holders by delivering value back to the clients creates the value for the two partner companies to drive their clients through and receive uh, a revenue share because of that and our model on top of that is kind of different also it's based on a sorry i want to tell yeah i was gonna i was gonna ask about that first i want to find out you, about your model but also there seems to be um this concept in the esg basically a basket price versus a regular price um so i want you to, to tell me about your model and then things to, i want to learn about some of the difficulties of the current state The first thing I want to say is that the whole thing is to solve a bunch of the problems. And all of it, what I've talked about so far is the problems with the crypto offerings. Their problem, whether it's, uh, and I won't name them, but there's one that's a fully stable token. It's tacked to the value of EU carbon credits. But when I look at what the token value is, I don't understand it. I don't understand the mapping. It's even more confusing than USDT. Right. Like for a long time, uh, I used to believe BUSD had one dollar for every dollar they had with USDT, with Tether. I've, I've never believed that. and They've never proven it. And uh, B Binance, they had proven it. But I, I think they backed away from it somehow and didn't tell anybody, which is probably part of their issues. Um, but with, without digging into that one, the other nature of the carbon credit related are the basket that you mentioned where you buy a token and it's based on an evaluation of a cross-section of crypto base or excuse me of, of of carbon credit markets 
And those themselves are all confusing enough because you have a stable value in the EU coin and in the California coin, but you have a voluntary market. And you look at one's worth 65 euros, one's worth 30 bucks, and one's worth a buck. And this isn't clear to people how these things work. And part of what we want to do is figure that out ourselves, right? Uh, to, to be perfectly honest, every time I read something a little bit further, I have another bit of a discussion. There, there's always a slight altering uh, to to my understanding of it. There's always these, these tiny little adjustments, uh, even within the different standards that you're going to work for. So what we're going to do with our projects is we're going to have the ideal path for all of them. Right. And if that ideal path, if there needs to be a divergence for one or the other because of it, then then we will. But we're going to be targeting primarily uh, a, a standardization like we we can't create our credit mark carbon credits on the EU market because those are strictly at a state level. Right. So we are looking at the voluntary markets and we are looking at ways to uh, to ensure that if you go with one certifier like gold standard, they'll turn around and apply ESG to it, and there's a slightly higher valuation, but it's, again, their token, which is confusing. Then you have Vera as another standard certifier, but they actually issue you carbon credits that can be traded on those other markets, whereas the gold standard ones can be only traded at gold standard. So we're thinking from a consumer perspective, the closest thing to fungible is better. So we're leaning towards Vera, where we have a certifier that can categorize projects in, in a, a different set of categories with a different type of targets based on what their maximum valuation might be. And even this is still not clear that they're the perfect choice yet, right? But I'm pretty certain that anything that you're going to have that you're going to call stable, it actually needs to have something that's a stable element of it. And I don't know that a stable token based on Tesla shares or Apple shares is a stable token. We only call it that stable in the crypto world because of stability. And the only things that have stability, such as it is, are things like the dollar and the euro and the franc um, and, and other major currencies like that. So I think tracked or or there's a better terminology than stable track to a single coin or, or, or basket tracked or, or there's there. I'm certain the financial world has terminology that we could just borrow already in terms of how they describe funds and the, and the, the like, what, what would you think it would be called rather than basket or track? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good question. Um, we all know how the this past crypto winter started, right? I mean, people say what well, was FTX bankruptcy, right? No, it wasn't. It was Terra Luna. Terra Luna lost its, you know, peg being stable because a lot of hedge funds in Chicago wanted it to die. And so they made it that way. And what they did is took down the whole entire crypto world, right? Um, so my concern is, you know, not what you call it, but that that it is that it is actually pegged to one metric, you know, one metric, um, yes, one specific metric. I don't know what that metric is. I don't know, um, but my concern is bringing down the whole entire crypto economy again. Um, can it is it possible if you from the ESG point of view to bring down that bring down that economy? Um, and that leads me to my next question for you, actually, like 
I'm thinking it's possible, right? Um, I don't know what the metric is, but you talk, you talk about digital twins. And I'm looking at, you know, the I'm looking at not the digital twin as far as technology. I'm looking at the digital twin as far as the UN view of the world. You know, the UN view of ESG and the crypto view of ESG. You know, what's the status of the UN view of ESG? And how do you create a digital twin that might be able to mirror the UN view? Maybe that's your, maybe your metrics in there. What do you think? Well, I think that this is part of the approach that a couple of them are trying to take. Gold standard, as I, as I mentioned earlier, and I mean, I have a former colleague who works there in Geneva. Um, it's admirable to try to do what they're doing. I don't necessarily know that I... <laughs> There's an independence that Vera has by not being connected to a cryptocurrency. Right. And there's a dependence that it has and it ends up gold standard ends up becoming a centralized marketplace while it's open and anybody can participate. That's the only place you can trade their tokens and their tokens are a new standard, which I don't think a private company should be bringing in a new standard, um, particularly when the new standard is instantly subject to the exact same issues because it's not excluding what we're excluding and we're not creating a standard. We're excluding anything to do with reforestation, deforestation, non-deforesting and replanting. And, and uh, we're also for the moment going to stick only with mathematically empirically provable history data, baseline data, current data to prove the results, right? Because you can't, you can't tangibly prove what a tree is doing. And it's, it's a, a blanket measurement based on growth and positions and all of these other types of things. And if those trees aren't even planted and nobody's gone over to see it, or if the part of the hectare of forest that wasn't supposed to be chopped down was, but it's like a million miles away, so it's difficult to monitor and track. These are the areas where a lot of the uncertainty and a lot of the fraud um, and errors because it's not all fraud. I'm sure there are probably some well-intentioned people, just like I knew a couple of crypto projects that said every NFT you buy, we're going to plant a tree. But I I don't know if they did. And it's easy enough to take a picture of a bunch of fields with saplings in them without me knowing that it was your field, right? So it's if anything is easily scammed, it will be scammed. And we've never... Never learned that lesson before. We certainly learned it in the crypto world. In the crypto world, scams and ripoffs are really just remaskings and repackaging of most of the other scams that already exist, other than things like wash trading of NFTs and cryptocurrencies and um, single ownership. Like you mentioned, Luna, this has had a bunch of problems for a lot of reasons. Of course, we know all about Sam and his gang, but I think there's a lot more to the crypto winter than uh than just that 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 was a big confidence shaker uh but the all of the rug pulls in this DeFi space all of the promises that people were over hyping in their own minds and the companies themselves around web3 but mostly the 
ridiculous nature of what we did with the technical and business capabilities of NFTs and all of the wash trading and stuff. Like when we were launching our project, I had a friend of mine call me from Amsterdam and he said, Daniel, he says like, I got guys who write you uh, some bots that'll front load your sale in the first five minutes and all of the tracking sites will know it and you'll just go out and spend a hundred grand to buy your own stuff and then the two million from the other people will, will chase it after you. He said, I've done it twice. And both of his projects, I knew he earned money, earned, stole money and shut down, right? So the, the prevalence of this type of stuff combined with the all of the lobbies against crypto, all of the lies about crypto at the time when this pandemic thing came into play, when people were able to absorb a lot more information from, as we both know, far too many rabbit holes, right? So as people went down these tracks and they started talking about, oh, the environmental impact of Bitcoin is that you could light you know, a small country for a year with it. Yes, but you could light the same country for five years with what Visa does, right? Or, or so on and so forth. So there were never any of these comparisons. And it's funny you don't see that about AI, because, I mean, this stuff is like like YouTube, like LinkedIn, like the devices that we're speaking over right now. We're leaving a carbon footprint behind. And nobody thinks about this. They only And the only reason people were thinking about the other was because they wanted to push a negative on it, right? Like if, if you tell somebody smoking will kill you and smoking will kill you, then you shouldn't smoke, right? But if it's a bank or, or rather if it's... Um, Philip Morris telling you smoking um, Rothschild cigarettes will kill you, but smoking Marlboro won't, then they're lying to you, right? So the, the banks, the governments, the controls, the, the scams, the element of politicians trying to protect citizens, overprotect citizens, the lack of knowledge, clarity, and, and understanding of, of what crypto is, followed by the lesson, of course, that Crypto was out of the box. You can't put it back in. They should have caught on to that from social media and move that today to AI because you, you can't regulate or control things in that quite that way. Crypto is slightly different because you always have a fiat on ramp, right? And then you can, other than things like the, the mixing, laundering uh, uh, crypto capabilities, which should be outlawed, are technically outlawed by a lot of jurisdictions, but they're out in the Wild West and they're still being used. Um, these are the only things that actually make crypto bad. Everything else about crypto, you if you give me a bag of euros in an alley behind that lovely building we put this beautiful AIAC in, solution into, I walk away with a bag of euros, good luck ever tracking anything. You give me a... a a bunch of Bitcoin, if I want to do something with it, it's going to move. It can be tracked. I mean, this is the whole point of the uh, of what the blockchain is, right? The, the immutable information source. So it's been misunderstood and it will get there. You know, just like AI is being misunderstood. It's going to put everybody out of work. No, it's going to put a bunch of people out of work and a bunch of other people into work. Just like the biggest industry in 1900. New York was whale oil, right? Then the electric light came along and they didn't need so much more whale oil. The next biggest business was horses. 
shortly the car came along and all of those people that were cleaning horses, storing horses, feeding horses, shoeing horses. I mean, there's like three horses left in Central Park now compared to 30,000 or something, whatever the numbers were way back when. Um, so, you know, stuff changes and we've all gotten used to evolving it. Uh, but I really think the pandemic time frames, just like everything else, look at how much else changed in our world, right? I mean, uh, I'm not going to talk on the podcast or blame the, pon- the pandemic for all of the the, the views around uh, gender. But all, all of this stuff happened when people started, the people that were interested started learning more, reading more, and started realizing their capabilities, their abilities, their rights, their feelings, etc. When you have time to think, which our regular world didn't give, suddenly everything slowed down. So uh, I think a lot of people learned a lot during the time. I think people are studying crypto and starting to catch on. I think a bunch of the games are going away. A bunch of them will still continue. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a more level playing field. And if people haven't learned to look before they leap, or if they don't want to admit that they're gambling, that's fine. Because a lot of these things are gambles. Right. So they're gambles and they're fraught with risk. And every dollar you put into cryptocurrency in a new project or an old project could be worth two dollars tomorrow or it could be worth zero. Right. Yeah. Easily. Or could we worth 10. But our project. No. When we launch our cryptocurrency and we're going to be first looking for uh couple of whale type investors, right? People to help us build this thing out because we're working on the model. We have the businesses that will drive the commerce in. All of this is uh, getting mapped out. The, uh, the, the, the white paper is constantly under adjustment right now because it's, it, it's a, uh, we're trying to design a Ferrari uh, here um, at the, at a, Tesla is probably a good idea. It's a fancier car than everybody ever thought you could get for that money. Um, not not that I'm necessarily a fan of uh, of plugging in myself. I drive a 20 year old right hand drive Saab from the UK and Switzerland. So, um, but what we're doing is every dollar that you put in, we're going to mark probably two thirds, and then maybe three quarters. We'll be used to purchase a carbon credit on the European market. That carbon credit will be locked in escrow with the registrant, and we will create a digital twin. So if, if today's price, uh, I think it's I don't know, 60, let's say, say it's 50 euros, and you put in 100 euros, you, you will get 1.75 or 1.5 of tokens that are each equal to one European market carbon credit stable stable to its market value we've picked this one because it's primarily controlled by the eu evaluations are controlled by the eu it has uh, fairly clear and mapped out um, uh, approaches to how those credits are managed and regulated the value when they first came out about 18 years ago was somewhere in the four mark in 2022, they reached above 80, and they're currently trading at about 65. The potential in the forecast over the next 
year to five years is anywhere between two times and 10 times, right? So even with the shortening and the more precise uh, EU regula regulations and rules, this is a growth stock. And because it's the kind of the, well, it's the standard for all of Europe. So you've got a pretty good basis around it. So every dollar, let's let's go with three quarters for now because it's just simpler to say, and 25 cents will go into our utility token. Initially, all of the money will be used for, for investing, but that, those tokens that those people hold are the ones that make them the, uh, give them the opportunity to invest on either the projects themselves, the carbon credits coming out of those projects, or a couple of other mechanisms that we have in, uh, in, in our model. We'll also have a, a common sense APY long-term farming of a pair of our carbon credit stable and our utility token. And uh, I've learned the lessons of farms from doing our own and our own DeFi project. And the problem with typical yield farms is they give these really, really, really high annual returns. You put in a whole bunch of money day one. I put in a whole bunch of money day five. You sell out at the end. I have to wait five days later. And all of you guys who made a bunch sell out and it's gone back down, which hurts, helps you, the early investor, doesn't really help me and hurts all of the other token holders. Right. So everything that we want to do about this is to protect the utility, the function and the growth of, of the tokens. So all of the carbon credits that come through the mechanism there'll be transactional fees for the investors there'll be you know money from the insurance and so on all of the profits owned by the trade a element uh, a, a significant amount of that profit will be split into two pieces one will be a revenue share back to the two primary businesses who um uh, who sorry that's the other half goes back the other half is shared between the three businesses the trade and the two businesses which are selling sending in the clients which is their consideration for sending the clients and delivering the value to their clients at a lower fee so they receive profits from the exchange to make them the level they would have been at if the client hadn't gone through the discounted mechanism the rest of the profit gets shared back directly to the token holders Half, in a, and, and these will be semi-annual revenue events, possibly quarterly revenue events as we start to ramp up the number of projects and the, the amount of revenue to be shared. Half of that pool of revenue will be used to purchase the utility token and burn it. So driving it down from a market cap somewhere in the 200 million range to a target of about 50 million. So hopefully increasing 4X along the way as the cap goes down to the to the same level of value most of those tokens will be held by the investors so the liquidity isn't going to be a big issue we will have a nice strong lp so the day trading is allowed and as as, as and is enabled but when you have revenue events coming along two or three times a year they're like a dividend event people tend to hold and and once we've proven as the projects come through you know there will be something added to your value the other half of that revenue share pool will be used to um, purchase additional European market real world carbon credits, escrow them in the registry, create the digital twin and hold it in the permanent credit vault. So all of these European things, the digital twin is in a wallet that the company 
holds and that is visible and transparent and every transaction is highlighted. The only transactions that ever occur from that wallet is when you decide you want to buy a carbon credit and retire it, which is the end of the life cycle of, of carbon credit tokens, as you know. So a company earns a credit, a company has a credit certified, and then the company can sell that. Typically, the buyers are people that either want to invest because they hope that the value will go up, or companies that are using it to offset their own carbon emissions, which, by the way, is where Tesla used to and probably still does make most of its money. Not selling cars, selling... Selling token credits. So selling carbon credits. Yeah, not all of their money, but they certainly, in the earlier years especially, they made a lot um, by, by doing it that way. So that carbon credit retirement process, what then happens is that the smart contract would you'd, you'd hit the button that says retire. The smart contract would move from the, uh, the, the escrowed wallet to the burn wallet at the same time as the registry holding the real world token was notified that that credit, that credit is retired, right? Because we one of, one of the problems has been duplication of credits or credits that were retired and were reused. So there'll be a triggering mechanism for our smart, smart contract that comes from a notification from the digital registry where the real world token is to ensure that they both go away at the same time. Which like is... It's kind of that that burning model is, is that's not particularly unique. I think the others are doing it that way. But the idea that every dollar you put in, you're only betting, gambling, investing twenty five cents, right? The other seventy five cents you're investing in something that has a stable value that we don't touch or control, and that is projected to having gone down this year because of adjustments in how the EU did stuff, which removed reduce the supply uh, the expectation is that it will by next year potentially go from the 60 range to the 120 to 150 range long-term forecasts are quite promising so people are currently investing in that space but now we're going to allow current crypto holders to do that as well uh, in in a in a stable model and carbon credit tokens are utility tokens unless they are something that is expected to earn as a token itself. So this is why we were originally thinking, as I had designed our model for the gold business in Berlin a few years ago, that this is a, a whole bunch of improvements on that model. It was originally going to, you would have three quarters, your 75% of your carbon token. And with those revenue events, we would bring you up to one full token. But if we do that, then that carbon credit token becomes a security as opposed to a utility. So instead of increasing the value and confusing people because it's not yet stable and when will it be, you'll get 0.75 of a dollar's worth of, of that token, not your full dollar, but it will be mapped and the revenue events will be additional tokens added to your wallet, not an increase to the value of that token. If you follow me, I follow you. I think it's sound. I think it's, I think that's a good idea. Yeah, so you're not creating securities. You're not in problems with SEC who might punch you down anywhere, no matter where you are. And you're 
great utility token, which has value in itself. I like it. You know, um, thank you for sharing with me. Um, so um, I have one last, I should have two last questions. I just think it was interesting. You made an interesting point I hadn't considered. You know, we're now, we're now in the AI age, right? Before COVID, you know, we were in this, this everybody's too busy age, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we actually needed to slow down in order to advance. And that's what's different now than it was a couple of years ago, crypto. That does make a lot of sense. I mean, I, I guess the way I would have thought about it, not that it's so different than what you just said, is it's like we have a two-lane highway and we have a whole bunch of people that want to use it, but we need to make it bigger, which means we need to close one lane while we build two new lanes. And, you know, crypto, the crypto winter and all of the other different things that contributed to it, like we talked about earlier, and, and just the economy in general, because the mystery to me is still, if the dollar goes down, then the crypto should go up, but it doesn't, right? The biggest problem that we have is that crypto tracks the FTSE, crypto tracks the uh, uh, the the um, standard and poor's, it tracks to the dollars and stuff, and, it, and it's false. But it's how people people think of it as, the same as and they don't understand that quantitative easing doesn't happen in a, a, a well-written cryptocurrency you can't just print more right in our case we're going to have this stable token and we're going to mint one each time we buy one so it's a different type of contract Right, but it it also will have the triggering mechanism that they can't be minted unless the like like the, the digital twin uh, from from the original electronic registry. So that mechanism will work out with the gold company, uh, the the gold crypto we had a few years ago. It was easier because it would have been a whole bunch of gold stored in the vault at buried in London, and there would have been a camera on the vault, and you could see how much gold was there. It's it's a little bit different, right? But it's it's also similar because you you need to have faith in the company that is you're putting the money into that this is actually going to happen. P part of that's by smart contracts, and the other part is the fact that we will probably end up with the crypto business based in Switzerland. Um, we th there's significant investment required to do a whole bunch of things. So as we go forward, we have this model, and we want to do everything on a everything's a circular economy. Right. If you take our two contributing two businesses that contribute projects and clients into the ecosystem, they're both very circular. They hit a bunch of the different SDGs and we're going to continue to work with any of the supply chain on the uh, on, on the solar thermal side to ensure that that's as good as it can be. But everything is replaceable, recyclable with a 25 year lifespan. It's an amazing type of stuff. I'd love, we'll have some other conversations and you can have a chat with the founder of that business, uh, those businesses at a, at a future time as we chatted. But those two circular economies, then we have a circular economy, which includes the crypto exchange, because these two businesses are going to drive value into it because it drives value back to them and their clients. That alone will attract the investors and holders because they have projects to invest to. That means that we have a crypto economy that is 
circular because these three businesses create what is needed without anything external. The next step is to start bringing in other projects. We will start working with avoidance projects. We will also start looking at, at storage and uh, abeyance projects as well. But we need to get uh, very critical on the measurement of these. And we want to be very particular on the assessment because we were going to provide an assessment to our investors who can then choose to invest or not. So we're, we're not advising, we're just providing ratings and uh, a bit of curation because we not need to ensure that we aren't positioning ourselves as proponents either way of our own projects or the others. So uh, it, it's, it's, it's almost like it's going to be a wall that you can walk up to and look at and read the stuff and ask questions if you want to, but you buy, sell the, you know, the, the standard thing you saw in so many LinkedIn posts about this is not financial advice. That, that doesn't really protect people in that way, but the mechanisms that we need to put into place are, you know, uh, when we sell our tokens, for example, you won't be able to buy it if you're from America or China or, or a bunch of other countries. If you then choose to buy that on DeFi someplace else yourself, then there's nothing that we can do about that. But, you know, we will follow the rules. Um, and we need this to, to be credible. We need it to be completely above the board. That's why I think about the environment we're in here might be a strong one for that. And uh, everything with smart contracts, auditable, everything visible above the board, everybody who's involved in the company um, laid out in clear notification, like the way businesses used to be before this aberration of these DeFi projects came along. Makes sense. I, I agree. Um, so, Daniel, I want to thank you very much for your time today. I enjoyed speaking with you again. Uh, it's a great conversation. Yes, I'm happy to bring uh, the founders of these two companies um, to, uh, to an episode. Happy to do that. Um, yeah, that'd be great. So I have one last question. It's a really easy one. How can people find out more information about you, about your companies, or how can they how can they chat with you? How can they do that? Um, my LinkedIn profile is open and available to everybody. My name is uh, going to be spelled in the announcement quite clearly, and my name is my email address. It's Daniel at Steves.ch or Daniel Steves at Gmail. Anything, uh, and, and I'll tell them to contact you, and you'll send them over to my Twitter idea as well, which is Daniel Steves with an underscore because I lost it. Never change your great Twitter handle for a project handle because you don't get the other one back. <laughs> That's the, the only piece of advice I'll provide here. But uh, yeah, I'd love to uh, entertain questions. I mean, we're looking for people to come on board and, and provide a little advice around some of the sustainability stuff. So we will be looking for players like that. Uh, as we're funded, we're going to be growing the team forward. But I'm also anybody who's out there who hears about what we're talking about with the a, a killer solar thermal solution at 70% efficiency or the HVAC AC, we're going to start rolling this one out. I mean, I'm going to come back and talk to you about your your contacts in, in the hospitality sector and in the industry sector and all of this stuff because there's it, it's the type of product that just should roll out and start to make I, I love it because you can install it and start saving money and pay for it with the money that you're saving to me this is one of the best business models you could ever think of like if 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 you have your big tall building that we're going to come in and do your air conditioning and you're spending a hundred thousand a month and we're going to save you 40000 a month, and it's not going to cost you anything except giving us a part of what you're saving. If you say you don't want to hear more, then you've failed the intelligence test. 
So it's it's that nice of a model and that nice of a product. So I'm uh, it'd be great to have you uh, have the chance to talk talk with Akshay because he's a very compelling young man uh, from India who's part of the new breed of entrepreneurs I think that we have and. I love the fact that you've got these younger people who are killing themselves like we used to because they counter these bad opinions that the rest of the world is getting from the young people from the silliness they see on YouTube. Because there there are differences in perspectives with old and young, but I tell you, us old guys are getting the wrong end of the stick, but so are the young guys. Thank you very much for your time today. It was great to chat with you, Jamil. Thanks for your uh, invitation and uh, look forward to catching up anytime. Take care.